right? We got a lot of different things coming at you today, okay? And I'm just sensing a little bit of a lull right now. that. You don't got time to say. All right? Let's go. Break it. Break it. Let it cross. Woo! Ladies and gentlemen, can I please have your attention? I've just been handed an urgent and horrifying news story. And I need all of you to stop what you're doing and listen. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk with Derek Johnson and Nick Springer on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Depend on it. Big news, Nick. Big news. Huge news. Huge news. What's the huge news? I was, I was going to open up with huge news about the Chiefsaholic thing because that was funny. Oh, uh, if you no, missed that, that was funny. he uh, basically didn't show up for court. Now he has a million-dollar bond. He cut off his he ankle bracelet. He cut off his stuff. ankle bracelet. But that Dude, now. This is straight up like some Bonnie and Clyde type stuff. That now has been trumped. On the run. That now has been trumped. Trumped. North Carolina guard Caleb Love is entering the transfer portal. Wait, I thought he was coming back. He, he is, but not to North Carolina. What? Wait, but didn't he put out a whole thing on Twitter that was like, Tar Heel Nation. I think that was RJ Davis, their other guard. Or maybe Armando Baycott. Oh. Okay. Yes or no? Caleb Caleb Love. Yes or no for KU? Man, I don't know. Maybe. That is not the answer I was looking for. I was looking for one of two answers, and you picked incorrectly. (laughs) Uh, I will say my answer is no. Okay. Okay? Sure. Fine. I agree with that. But No. But... If, you know, Bill Self says, hey, I'm going to kick the tires on it, then you say, okay, well, you trust you. Anyway, sure. uh, KU women's basketball, big time win yesterday. They helped KU avoid the 3-0 sweep to Arkansas. They did it. Thank That was oh, a game you man. could not lose. You could not lose yes. for the pride of the university. Yes. For the pride of the university, for the pride of the state of Kansas. Couldn't lose to the stupid woo pig idiots of Arkansas. They they killed them too. Seventy eight to sixty four. They just kind of they they got up. Uh, I think it was like twenty to thirteen at, at the end of the first quarter, but it felt like it should have been more than that. And, and they just kind of kept them at arm's bay the entire time. Never really. So they are now struggle. in the Fab, Fab four. four. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I I learned this. This is why the names are are like the grade eight and the Fab four. Okay. So you know, how in the men's version, the NIT is in conjunction with the NCAA. Really. On the women's side of it, it is not. It's like a, it's like its own independent tournament. Wait, but I thought you had to have like NCAA sanctioned stuff. I I don't know, I I, I don't know. There there's certain <laughs> rules with it, logistics or whatever. Yeah, but does that mean since it's not technically the NCAA, they could claim a national why? title if they win it? Yeah, they claim being not. the champions. I don't see why not. I don't see yeah, why not. Um, but no, they're so in the top four now. They're KU, playing Washington, Washington on Wednesday, and the other side of the bracket is Columbia and somebody else. I don't remember the other team. So if they beat Washington, they would play either Columbia or somebody else. They have gone on quite the run here. I mean, beat Western Kentucky by 14, but it's, it's not just that they've won four games to get to this point. It's it's who they've beaten along the way. I get it. It's not, it's not an NCAA tournament run, which you would have liked here, but you beat Missouri, your rival, by 28 points. You beat Nebraska, your oh. former Big 12 foe, by nine. And then you beat Arkansas by 14. So, uh, nice little run for them. We're going to talk with Brandon Schneider coming up at 425 here. A little KU women's basketball. We've also got some KU women's basketball audio from after that game we'll share with you in the 5 o'clock hour. Uh, we will hear from David Lesky of Inside the Crown 
in about 30 minutes from right now to yeah. talk a little Royals baseball. It's baseball season. It, it is, officially. Opening day is on Thursday. So we'll talk with David about that. And then uh, we got some Lance Leipold audio, Case of the Monday, some other stuff coming as well. The final four is officially set. I mean, just a, a crazy week of yeah. basketball. So yeah. on, on, on Friday, both the one seeds go down. Then we weather yep. our way into the Elite Eight, and it already looked wacky and wild. And more wackiness and more wildness occurred. I guess we should probably start with just from like a locally-based portion of this, FAU beating Kansas State. Yeah. Yeah. I <laughs> I am surprised. Okay. We've been doing the show for, what, four minutes? Five minutes? Yeah. The over-under on... That sucks K-State's from Nick was... Oh, that sucks. <laughs> wow. I'm no, that saying, is, that is a real shame. No, that's a real shame. Mm -hmm. It's a terrible, terrible shame. I mean, I'm personally, I'm just devastated. Absolutely are you actually? Crushed. Are you? I don't think you are. Um, <laughs> yeah, so Kansas no. State lose to Florida Atlanta. I mean, the, the bracket had, had broken open for Kansas State. It really and, did, yeah. Yeah. I mean, they, they would have been the... They I would guess, not have been the favorite. No, they would not have been the, the favorite, favorite, but they would have been the best seed remaining. Yes. Which, again, how much does that matter? I don't know. And it is it is a little funny to me that coming into that game and after the game, obviously, as well, uh, Florida Atlantic is ranked higher on Ken Palm than, than K-State yes. was, you know? And when FAU had Golden, their seven-foot guy on the floor, they were the better team, I think, yeah. watching that game. So they definitely deserve it, right? I mean, they this is a team that... I think they haven't lost since November. They're thirty-five and three. They they're legit. This is not a you know this is not a a real Cinderella run. Mm -mm. Now it I mean it maybe feels that way a little bit because they got to play Fairleigh Dickinson in the second round, but like they're legit. They're they're a legit team. They've got they've got some real shooters. They've got some real playmakers and and yeah. Also, they doubled up Kansas Kansas State in rebounding, forty-four to twenty-two. You can't you can't get doubled up in rebounding and and then win a game. You can't do it. Just not gonna happen for you. It's just wild because Marquise Noel became kind of the individual story of the tournament, and for yes. them not to make a Final Four, it is a little similar to to I guess Purdue with Carson Edwards. Uh, what was that? Twenty nineteen. He was just hitting everything. Flamethrowers kind of a little different with Noel. He was hitting a lot of shots, but it was also the facilitating. And now he doesn't even get to make a, a final four when when the bracket yeah it did break up for him that yeah it did it did feel like the entire story of the whole tournament revolved around Marquise Noel certainly for the Sweet Sixteen Elite Eight weekend yeah it really did um, so he was unable to get through FAU is a good team though as you were saying this is not yes. your traditional underdog and and what's crazy is. They're going to have a lot. I mean, they can bring back their entire roster next year. Now we'll yeah. see how much of it comes back, right? Because nowadays with the transfer portal, you don't know. I think I think even their head coach Dusty May was talking about that over the course of this run, the players have had like teams been uh, that have been reaching <laughs> out to them about transferring. I'm sure they have, right? Because there's so, probably guys on there. There's probably guys that this is a team that obviously doesn't get a lot of national exposure during the regular season, and some other coaches are probably seeing this and being like, wait a second, that guy? Yeah. Those guys? Yeah. Well, you know what's funny, too? The Final Four actually ended up working out that you got, um, 
like sometimes in the semis, like it works out that you have, oh, the best team plays the second best team. The third team plays the fourth best team or something. It's actually one versus four, two versus three. Connecticut is number one on Ken Palm. Miami is the lowest ranked on Ken Palm that's there. They're 22nd. San Diego State's 14th. Florida Atlantic's 17th. But yeah, Florida Atlantic is, is they're just a good team, man. Yes. Dusty May is, is quickly rising up all these coaching ranks. They've won 35 games. They are 35 and three. Yep. They're top 30 on offense and on defense. They shoot the ball well from all over the floor. They take care of the basketball. They rebound well on both ends of the floor. Yeah, they I mean, defend well. They've got three good rim protection. things. They've got three things that I think you need to be successful in the NCAA tournament. They've got their playmaker all-around scorer, John L. Davis. They've got a clutch shooter in uh, Greenlee, I think, number four. And then they've got a rim protector in Golden. If you have those three things you're probably going to have a chance to be successful, yeah. and they do. Well, and they're pretty deep, too, because, I mean, the Elijah Martin kid is really good at scoring the basketball. You've got, I think, like Nick Boyd coming off the brand and Weatherspoon. Like, it's just a good team. It's just a very good team. And and what's crazy, too, is you know, we always talk about the, the, the little breaks you need along the way to make a deep run in March. Florida Atlantic was down a point to Memphis and got a, like, jump ball call that, or maybe it was two points, got a jump ball call that, I don't know, if it, it might have been a bad call. Like it, the, the fingers were kind of like barely on the ball. <laughs> if that doesn't happen, there's a chance that Memphis just wins that game. And then who knows? Are we talking about Memphis is in the Final Four? Is Tennessee in at that point? Is Kansas State in? I don't know. You can like pull the thread so easily in some of these NCAA tournament games that makes it so difficult to figure out. By the uh, way, but yeah, with- Florida Atlantic is legit. This is not... This is not like a, a true Cinderella in, no. in the sense of of what they necessarily were. Um, they're just a good team. They're ranked 17th on Ken yeah. Palm. By the way, with both the one seeds losing the Sweet 16, that was the first time ever in the history of the tournament that the Elite Eight did not have at least one one seed. Yeah. I Which was, is kind of funny because remember how when we were talking about ways in which Kansas can win the NCAA tournament and we said, whoa, it's wide open. It's wide open. Well, guess what? Turns out it was wide open. It really was. Didn't have any one seed. It really was. Yeah, their highest seed was a three seed in the Elite Eight. Yeah. Um, I was not as shocked. I I I think I said I expected San Diego State to play a close game with Alabama on on Friday's show. Yeah. I was not shocked by that result. I was shocked by Miami beating Houston. I really was. Yeah. Yeah. And I feel like Miami continues to be the team that we just don't really know what to do with. Like, like I don't know. I watched them and I'm like. Why why are they good? Like what makes them good? And I don't know. Well, they're just amazing on offense. They have a billion guys who can just become flamethrowers shooting the basketball in from three. They're the fifth best offense in the country. They're only hundred and fourth on defense. So that's that's what I I kept figuring, like, hey, eventually yeah. the defense is gonna this, come back to bite. So they could be one of the other outlier team too that they really trend, could. the trends that you did. Yeah. And I and I think this year, um, what I learned is those trends are great. But in years that are outlier years, it's not going to give you the answer. But that said, um, you know, some of that trend stuff, you are basing it on the idea of what is more right, not it's going to be right every time, yeah, right? It's not an exact is, science. This is obviously a UConn's tournament to lose. Though, it is. Right? It is. I mean, they've been absolutely steamrolling everyone. Yeah. They get Miami, a team that doesn't have a traditional big man, when they have a 6'9", Sunogo plus... Seven foot three Klingon off the bench, <laughs> and then they're going to run into either SDSU or FAU. They should they should be the national champs. Oh right? yeah, 
Uh, they're the betting favorite right now and everything. And yeah, it is funny to point out that they are the uh, number one ranked team right now in Ken Palm. Um, so this is, you know, you look at the four seed and you're like, ah, wow, there's no good teams left in the final four. It's like, no, UConn's really good. Yeah. Um, there were a lot of conversations about, like, was the seeding bad, all this stuff. I mean, sometimes it just plays out that way. Uh, was UConn probably better than that? Yeah, probably. But, like, also, if you just think about the seeding process from the, the committee, so you have Marquette as a, like, you're sitting there going, from a resume standpoint, if you're not using advanced metrics, you're like, well, I uh, where are we going to put Connecticut? Because they finished fourth in the Big East. Yeah. You know, Marquette, we have Marquette. They won the Big East. They won the Big East tournament. All right, well, there are two seeds. They have to be behind them. And then it's like, well, Xavier finished second in the Big East. All right, there are three seeds. They have to be behind them. And it's like, <laughs> well, Creighton finished third, but they're a sixth seed because they had kind of an up-and-down non-con. So, I don't know. They're somewhere between Xavier and there. And it's like, all right, four seed. Like, if you're basing it off the resume stuff, which, you know, I, I know a lot of KU fans were still upset about the bracket they were given and stuff, and rightfully so. It was a very difficult bracket, the well, toughest region that okay. I've seen. But, like, the deal with complaining about getting upset is it ended up not mattering No, you exactly. lost in the second round. Exactly. Like, who cares? Yeah, you, you don't have right to to complain about that anymore. And on top of that, um, if we're talking about, well, KU should have been a higher one seed because of the resume, then the resume had UConn as a four seed. If you would have wanted them to go based on like metrics that this team is that good, then yeah, UConn probably would have been a one seed, but Kansas probably would have been a two or three seed, right? So <laughs> there's no like perfect way to do that. And I'll, I'll have more on kind of the, the complaining about the tournament uh, coming up later in the show. But yeah, UConn yeah. has to be the. I, I mean, they are the favorite and everything like that. Yeah. I, I would be pretty shocked at this point if they didn't win the title. So okay, what do we do with Houston? They're coming to the Big Twelve. Oh yeah, are they just going to be bad? Like, was this their one shot at winning a title and they just choked it away? You know what's funny? Uh, I was surprised he said this. Kelvin Sampson said like before the game, it was on like Thursday, I think, that this wasn't his best team, which like Ken Palm would disagree with because they were the number one team and everything coming in. Although, I, I think by adjusted EM, they actually had a better rating overall. To think, so, I guess, what the other... 2021, the team that made the Final Four. Oh. But if you remember, that team played like... That team didn't play a single-digit seed in their NCAA tournament run to the Final Four. They played <laughs> they played 15-seed Cleveland State, 10-seed Rutgers, 11-seed Syracuse, 12-seed Oregon State. And then they got housed by Baylor in the Final Four. So, it was like... We sure this team is good? I don't know. They didn't play anyone. Um, see, I, I don't know what to expect from Houston because I, I think they lose a good amount of players. Like, I would assume Marcus Sasser's gone. I would assume Jarris Walker, Walker is going to be, be like a top, top 10 pick, yeah, right? supposed to be a top 5, 6, 7 pick. But they've clearly built up a, a strong base in terms of what they do. They rebound the ball really well. They play physically. They're like I feel like the floor of that program is high. Also, though, Kelvin Sampson's getting up there in age. How much longer is he going to be coaching the team? Yeah. He's 67 years old. Yeah. I don't know the answer to that. Um, I I figure Houston will but be. Will they? Will they be like? Are they going to be a Big Twelve title contender? I think so. You think so? I think so. I mean, we had Kevin Flaherty on last week, and we can talk to him more about this tomorrow. And and I think he said, I think he might have thrown Houston up in that. Remember, he said they have like a seven, six or seven team. Um, I don't know contingency for like the number one overall in the preseason rankings next year. And I think he said Houston was in that list. That would tell me that that's true. That would tell me they've they've got some guys coming back. Okay, fine. But are they a are they a top five Big Twelve team? Yeah, I would assume so. Are you sure about that? 
Well, okay, so the Big 12 is going to be weird next year. I mean, it's it's impossible to tell right now. We don't know what the transfer portal is. <laughs> we don't know. I mean, the transfer portal well, changed Well, then you everything. got the Texas news. Yeah. With Rodney Terry. Um, honestly, I Houston, for them, like Kansas City is a house of horrors. They have now lost, I think, two. Uh, their last <laughs> two games there in the Sweet 16. Texas, it's almost more disappointing, I think, for them that they didn't make the Final Four than Houston. Because yeah, with, I with Texas, that. they were up, what, 13 points, 12 points, yeah. with like 10, 12 no, minutes they, to go? They, they choked it away. Yeah. No yeah their team is full of transfers, and I don't know what their, I don't know what their team's going to look like next year either. Marcus Carr's gone. Timmy Allen's gone. Um, I, I don't know if Dylan DeSue is out of eligibility. I don't, That's I don't, heard they I don't didn't like have him. Allen. He's gone. He uses up his eligibility. Well, good. I I mean, if you think about it, though, like very disappointing for a lot of people to not make it with K-State. It was the disappointment. It always is when you lose in the Elite Eight, but especially this year. So what? They they haven't made a Final Four since like the French Indian War? And and they, I mean, for Marquise Noel, the run ends and everything. With Creighton, it was like that was their first chance at a Final Four as San Diego State made their first Final Four. Um, With Texas, you blow the big lead. With Gonzaga, Drew Timmy's career is over. They just got kind of housed. Get smashed. Yeah, yeah. San Diego State, man, though, they—they're the ultimate. Like they muck everything up. They yeah. make everything defensive. Yeah. FAU, I think, overcame that in the Tennessee game, which they tells did. me they should be built well to overcome it in San Diego you think State. FAU is going to be in the title game. I lean San Diego State, but like I don't know. The more I think about it, maybe FAU could handle that again, and then. With Miami, UConn, I just I continue to doubt Miami every round. I thought Miami would lose to Drake. I thought they'd oh, lose to Indiana. I, I thought they'd lose to Houston. I thought they'd lose to Texas. I think they're going to lose to UConn. Maybe they're just going to win the title. I don't know. I saw someone uh, say, like, because, you know, the one of the storylines of the NCAA tournament is when when smaller teams or lower team, lower-seeded teams do make big runs, like, you always see, like, the stats of, like, oh, George Mason's enrollment went up 500% or whatever. Your Butler's enrollment went up, right? Mm-hmm. It was So the tweet was, FAU's enrollment is going to go up even more because people are going to Google it and see a picture of their campus. You, have you seen that? But that was kind of like Florida Gulf Coast. Their campus is literally yeah. it's in like the a, ocean. Yeah. It's like on a beach. Yes. So what is it? Is, Isthmus? Is that, the right, is that the right term? I don't Do, know. Would you go to Florida Atlantic? <laughs> I mean, sure. Why not? But see, like, you know, for a guy like me, beaches uh-huh. don't really do anything for me. So I don't really care. Like, ooh, it's a beach. I'm not, and I don't like the ocean. Wow. So this what? Is, what? That's interesting. What? Um, I, did I ever tell you that? You just don't like the ocean? No. You told me that you hadn't been to an ocean as of, like, I don't know, a handful of years ago. Yeah, the first time I saw the ocean when I, I was when I was, like, 21, 22. Do you, have you given the ocean a proper chance, or are you just like I haven't experienced it? It sucks. Uh, like what do you mean? Like have you actually like when I went to Florida and this was spring break of 2019, so mm-hmm. I guess four years ago. When I went there, I went up to like my knees in the water. I did not go any deeper than that mm-hmm. off the beach. And what was your issue with it? It was it was fine actually. I mean, I it was fine. <laughs> I got some sea some seashells. That was kind of cool. Okay, so it was fun. Okay, I mean I didn't hate it, but like I'm not gonna go out in it. You see what I'm saying? Uh huh. So a beach is fine. I'm just not gonna go swimming in the ocean. 
you don't like the views or the weather that accompanies with it? No, I don't like cool the view. climate. There's nothing to view. It's all water. What do you mean? There's something beautiful about it. No. All right. Well, you're, you're an FAU hater then. So this has to be a horrible... Um, you have to be rooting for UConn. San Diego State, on the beach. <laughs> FAU, on the beach. Miami, Coral Gables, beach. UConn, Connecticut. Well, I'd rather move to I'd rather move to San Diego than you than Connecticut. But, so I guess but why you don't there. like the beach? What are you gonna? Well, you're the weather's just gonna nice. be paying more. Oh, the weather's nice. Okay, but that's what I'm saying. If you live at FAU, live on the beach. It's nicer weather. Keeps the climate, okay, fine, climate cool. Sure, right. fine, whatever, fine. I don't know how we ended up on this, but uh, yeah, UConn should win the title. Miami will probably do it because I just keep doubting them, and uh, I don't know. It's it's a weird Final Four. It's not. I, I'm not someone who's like, like the tournament's going to play out how it's going to play out. I'm yeah. going to have fun with it no matter what. And I'm yeah. going to have fun with the Final Four. I think there's enough fun parts there. I know some people are like, oh, this is stupid. I hate this and all this <laughs> stuff. And it's like, okay, just like nobody's forcing you to watch for one. Two, everybody always is like, the NCAA tournament is the greatest sporting event in the world because anybody get, can truly and then win. they get mad when anybody wins. Exactly. They get mad when their bracket doesn't work out. And it's like, well, my bracket sucked this year. Or like... There aren't enough good teams the people left. Like, that base but their, this is the, the teams okay. beat the teams because they, they played a better game. So the what do you want to happen? that base their tournament experience off of personally how their bracket yeah. goes, stupid. those people are stupid. Listen, I... If I, you're one of those people, I just feel bad for you because yeah. you're missing out. Yeah. Like, you're, yeah. Not letting, you're not letting yourself enjoy no. truly what, what makes the tournament... No. Awesome. I, I'm going to finish second to the bracket pick because Texas blew that lead. If they would have won, I would have won a bracket pick. And it sucked. I'm gonna but finish. guess what? I moved on 15 minutes later because I didn't care that much. Like, the extra money would have been nice. But, like, I'm going to enjoy watching the Final Four. I'm going to finish dead last, so I don't, I don't care. <laughs> okay. There we go. He's Nick Springer. I'm Derek Johnson. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk. David Lesky's going to join the show in about 15 minutes. Welcome back into Rock Chalk Sports Talk on KLWN with Nick Springer. I'm Derek Johnson, and we're back to that time of year. It is uh, opening week, I guess. We have uh, opening day coming at you on Thursday. The Kansas City Royals start off the season against the Minnesota Twins. Uh, we welcome on our one of our favorite guests, David Lesky of Inside the Crown, to talk Royals baseball, catches up on uh, maybe some stuff that we've missed over spring training with the NCAA tournament and whatnot, and, and look ahead to the the first week of the season. So I guess I'll, I'll start there, David. For people that maybe didn't pay a ton of attention to spring ball, what was maybe the the biggest thing that they missed this year? Oh boy, that's a good question because generally nothing. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> spring training is you know it is what it is. Um, but I, I think the biggest thing is the pitching staff getting strikeouts and it it's easy to say well it's just spring training but they got more than last year they got more than other teams <laughs> I mean, it was it, it was a much more uh swing and miss staff which i think is is something that i'm really looking forward to seeing if they can continue because yeah the new the new coaching staff all that i think yeah, the Royals are kind of starting fresh with, and and they're starting fresh with their guys. They're starting fresh with the guys they drafted and and are tried to develop, and now are kind of a lot of them are floundering. And we'll we'll see if it can continue. Uh, that that to me that that's the most I don't know about fun, but interesting storyline um, for the whole season. And honestly, for the next two or three seasons, really, because 
we'll, we'll see how it permeates through the organization. You just uh, wrote a piece with Inside the Crown, your bold predictions for the upcoming season. And I, I don't want you to share all of them. People should just go read it and subscribe to your Substack with Inside the Crown. But do you have, have one that was your favorite to write about? Oh, that's a good question. Um, probably Vinny Pasquantino, just because I, uh, it, it's so funny to me. I think, I think I remember realizing this last year on the air with you. When I said, yeah, Vinny's going to be a top 30 hitter next year. And then it was, wait, he's already a top 30 hitter. Um, he's already made that. So that's not exactly breaking news. <laughs> um, and, and so I, I think, um, you know, looking at what he did last season, looking ahead, um, I don't know. I, I think somebody's going to give him a down ballot MVP vote. And he's going to get that on his baseball reference page forever, which is really cool for him because, you know, this is a guy. What was he, 11th round, 10th round? I can't remember. Um, Double-digit round, whatever it was. And he just kind of steadily progressed through the system, and now all of a sudden he's the best hitter on a big league team. And it's not like he's – he would be the best hitter on a hand, on a, lot, on a number of teams. It's not just because, hey, the Royals stink. It's because he's actually really good. So it's just a cool story. And so, you know, just to think about him being able to – get some MVP votes and hey, if the Royals surprise, I've got something that I'm working on. I think it'll be done tomorrow or for tomorrow. Um, talking about how they can surprise and how they could absolutely torpedo. So there's, there's both sides of that. But if they did surprise, then you could get some real love. Yeah, that, that would certainly be a uh, nice thing for the Royals to build around some of these young hitters, which brings us to what you think the roster will potentially look like here. Let's start with that lineup uh, headed into the season. Uh, what do you think the most difficult decision is going to be for them, whether it's does this guy start with the major league team or is this guy starter? Is this guy come off the bench? Should this guy play here? What, what do you think that toughest decision with the, the batters, at least, uh, that portion of the lineup? I feel like the lineup itself is fairly well said. The lineup for tonight is out. Um, they're playing in Texas for a couple of days. And um, aside from Jackie Bradley Jr. DHing, I think everybody else is where they're going to be on Thursday, assuming they stay healthy over these next couple of days. Um, we might remember that Salvador Perez was hurt traveling back to Kansas City a couple of years ago. So I guess a few years ago now. But um, I, I, I think that it's going to be a lineup we have out there tonight with um, – MJ in right, Bobby Witt at shortstop, um, Vinny Pasquantino at first, Salvi catching. I think Framil Reyes will be the everyday DH. He hasn't been added to the roster as of right before you called, so I don't know if something changed before the air. <laughs> I haven't seen that. anything yet. This is the time of year it could. Um, and then I think Matthew's going to play second. I think um, it'll have Dozier at third. Oliveris will be in left and Isbell in center. I think that that's pretty well set. Um, I don't think there's a lot of questions there. That what I'm really interested in is how do they make the room on the 40 man? Because they're going to keep Jackie Bradley Jr., Framil Reyes. Um, I, I think at least one other non-roster invite, which means they're going to have to make some room because the 40 man is full. Two two spots are super easy. Two guys can go on the 60 day. Um, Jake Brent and Diego Hernandez, but um, that that last spot, I don't, I don't know what they're going to do with it. So that that's really intriguing to me. I think the rosters have to be set by Wednesday. Um, I may be wrong on that, but um, they, have a, they have a workout at the stadium that's open to the public on Wednesday. So I can't imagine they're not going to have the roster set before that. Um, 
it it'll be really interesting to see how they do that. I, and I'm I'm just curious how they fill out the end of their bench. Is it going to be Matt Beatty or Matt Duffy or both? It's both. Whew. More work to do on the roster. Um, they've already decided not to keep that third catcher. So MJ Melinda is going to be the primary backup. Yeah, it's it's, uh, it's an interesting roster. One one thing I think it's interesting in in a lot of ways because the bottom of the roster is better. You know, it they didn't do anything at the top of the roster really. I mean, even on the pitching staff, I, I suppose Aroldis Chapman and Jordan Lyles could be big enough contributors that they end up sitting in that top 12 of the roster or whatever it is. Um, but it really fixed the bottom five quite a bit. I think they got a lot better in that way. Um, and then those are the decisions they have to make over the next 48 hours or so. As far as the pitching staff, uh, what do you envision uh, the biggest, I guess, debates being there, whether it's with the, the starters uh, now without Daniel Lynch potentially starting the season on the IL and uh, into the bullpen as well? It, things are pretty well set outside of a couple spots. Um, them sitting down, Josh Taylor, Josh Stamont, and uh, Richard Lillard the other day set a lot of things in motion. Um, I think we know seven of the eight relievers, assuming that assuming they, they don't leave Ryan Yarbrough behind to build his innings up, which I don't know why they would. Um, I think we know seven of the eight relievers, which means there's one spot probably for... Gosh, Colin Snyder had a great spring. Jose Quas was good. They could also, here's another non-roster. They could go Nick Whitgren or um, Ryan Weiss, who are both non-roster invites. So that's interesting to see how they fill out that last spot. Uh, the rotation, it kind of sounds pretty well set. I mean, you know it's going to be Grinky, Lyles, and Keller in that first series, and then Brady Singer's going to start the Blue Jays series because he's a little bit behind because of WBC. But, yeah, without Daniel Lynch, who's the fifth starter, I think it's going to be Chris Bubich. Um, he pitches tonight, so we'll see how far he goes in that game. I think that that's, that'll be pretty indicative of, of what they think about if he can handle it or not. It could very well be that they don't, that they keep Kloss and Snyder for a few days, keep Bubich behind and, you know, kind of finagle a roster spot that way, I guess. Um, yeah, they, they've, they've, they've made a lot of their decisions, which makes it a little easier to figure out um, and to prove my roster projections from last week way, way wrong very quickly. <laughs> but, um, yeah, it, it, that's another spot, though. I mean, the rotation concerns me quite a bit, but the bullpen, they have, they have added so much, I think, quality depth that I, I'm really excited to see how this bullpen holds leads. Just from a more macro perspective, what, what do you think is the biggest storyline or headline about this team headed into this season? Um, gosh, there's, there's a couple. I think, I think the easy one is the young bats. The, you know, they, they were the guys who, Melendez, Pasquantino, Witt, uh, Michael Massey, Kyle Isbell, I think still fits in that realm, especially with what he did this offseason with driveline. Um, and, and then some other guys could come up throughout the year. Mike Garcia, Nick Prado, those guys. I think that's the that's a really big storyline to watch to see how they can progress because as much as we really like them, nobody other than Pasquantino like excelled at the big league level. Bobby Witt had a solid season, but it was I think I, I think you hard to argue it wasn't uneven. It was. Henry Melendez very similar. Um, we saw a lot of power, a lot of discipline. We also saw not a lot, not enough contact and not enough good contact. Um, you know that these guys need to get better. And I think they can. I think they will. It's just they 
had to do it. So that's that's a big story. But it goes back to the pitching staff too. Strike throwing. That that's going to be the thing we talk about all the time. That the raid the zone idea they've had, um, the way the catchers are setting up, all this stuff. It's um, the, the new coaching staff is really we. I think the story, especially early, will be how much hold they have on this team. And, um, you know, <laughs> for, the sake of, uh, for the sake of us watching, I, I really hope the strikes are thrown a lot more because it, it, there are two things that just make, baseball, make, make, make a bad baseball team nearly unwatchable. One is long scoreless stretches because you feel helpless. It's one of those things you're like, oh, they scored a run, game's over. Um, <laughs> but the other is watching a pitching staff throw ball after ball after ball, walk after walk after walk. Those two things are absolutely, like, fan killers. And so if they can, they can avoid both of them, things are going to be a lot better, a lot more fun to watch at the very least. Okay, I, I love doing this at the start of seasons for different teams. Uh, so I'm going to ask you to take me through this thought exercise as well. Take okay. me through what the floor looks like for this team, and, and you can go whichever direction you want, but why that floor would be and what it would look like, and then take me through what the ceiling would look like, what would cause it, and what that would look like. So basically kind of looking at, at what both ends of the spectrum would be for this team. So you're basically asking me to tell you about my article for tomorrow, which is fine. I'll do it. Um, <laughs> the, the floor, look, the rotation can be a very big problem. Um, and it, you know, Zach Greinke had the lowest strikeout rate in baseball among pitchers with 40 or more innings last year. Not a recipe for success. It just isn't. Um, if there's any pitcher who can break that, it's Greinke. Um, but tough. <laughs> it's going to be tough. So he could, I think he could regress in a major way. Jordan Lyles has been okay at times, but he also was terrible in 2020 and bad in 2021. That could happen again. Brady Singer, I mean, this time last year, he was not in the rotation, and it, he, didn't, he deserved to not be in the rotation. So we're a year removed from him not being good. Um, Brad Keller got kicked out of the rotation in August last year because he was bad, and now he's in the rotation. There is a world where this world's rotation makes you long for the 2022 rotation. Um, and that's <laughs> terrifying because they were horrific. I think, I think the bullpen raises the pitching staff floor a bit, and I think that if they can if they can get a lead after five or six, they'll keep up, they'll keep most of them. So that'll help. Um, but that there's there's the floor for the pitching staff. It's it's rough. Um, offensively, look again, nobody was great. Pasquantino, that's it. He was the only one who really was was great. I think there's a world where Salvador Perez. It's a wall. He's 33. He'll be 33. Um, Bobby Witt doesn't have great play this one, and it's a problem. MJ Melendez, you know, he he, he knows where, what balls and strikes, but he swings and misses. Kyle Isbell was terrible last year. Uh, Michael Massey, I, maybe he's not an impact player. I don't, I, you know, maybe he's just a, a, a number eight hitter who they have to hit six. There, there are a lot of concerns with this team floor-wise. And, I mean, it, if everything goes wrong, they're losing 100 games. So 100 plus. I don't know what the number is, but they could easily be in the 50s and win. Um, that said, I don't think it's terribly likely that everything goes wrong, just because young players don't tend to have everything go wrong. Um, 
I like Brady. I like what Brady Singer did. I don't think he'll regret. I think Zach Greinke will be fine enough. I don't think Jordan Lyles is going to be 2020 Jordan Lyles. I've heard so many good things about Brad Keller that I'm I'm believing. Well, you know, maybe maybe I'll feel silly for that in a, in a few weeks, but I'm believing right now. Like I said, I really like the bullpen. I think the offense can click. The math that I've done for tomorrow's newsletter is basically they need to gain. It can really go either way, but they need to gain about 80 runs on offense and drop about 130 runs in the pitching staff to get to 86 wins. Um, 86 wins, probably a playoff team, or at least close. And it's a lot easier than you would think because if the bullpen is as good as I think it is, they could 90 of those runs could be right there. I went, I looked, the Royals gave up about 90 more runs than the Cardinals bullpen did last year. Cardinals bullpen was the 11th best in baseball. I think the Royals can be a top 12 bullpen. So, but I think the ceiling is is is, is as high as any Royals team in a while. It's it's going to be difficult to get there. Uh, 100% difficult. But I think their ceiling is high 80s and wins. Um, I don't think they get to it. I don't think they hit their floor. I think I mean I have 73 wins in my article today. So um, somewhere in the middle. But um, I, there is a lot of potential on this team, and that's what makes the ceiling fun. Okay, so how about this superlative? Uh, I'll, I'll call this the Brady Singer Award. Who, who do you think is the most likely player who is maybe on the younger end, and, and maybe what you just referenced there with Brad Keller, I, I don't know if he could be your choice here. He's still only 27, um, who maybe has struggled in their time with the Royals, although Keller's you know had some, some decent run of play. Um, yeah that you think is most likely to finally kind of figure it out this year, kind of like what Singer did last year? Well, yeah, I would have said Daniel Lynch up until, yeah. I don't know, what was it, three days ago, <laughs> whatever. And like, I mean, I think he could still be back pretty quickly. I think I heard J.J. Piccolo say um, late April, early May. So it's not, I mean, that's, we, we, we think about it. Think about M.J. Melendez, for example. We think, when you think about his 2022, you think, oh, it was a full season. No, he came up in early May. So, it really doesn't impact a whole lot. Um, I don't think it's a pitcher. Um, I, and if it's going to be a pitcher, I think it's Chris Bubich. I really like, I just like his mind. I don't know how many times you and I have talked about that, but he's, <laughs> he, he has a very strong mental feel for pitching. I know he, his stuff isn't that great, um, but I think it looked better this spring. Um, eh, and we'll, see what, we'll see what he does tonight. We'll see what he does to start the year, because I, I do think he's the head starter. But I think Melendez might be the guy. I mean, he had not like, uh, he's not, I guess actually he is kind of like Singer because Singer was never bad. I mean, he had moments in 2021, but he had a good 2020. Um, you know, he's, he needed to take a step and he didn't. I really think Melendez is in for a big year. I think he's going to make better contact. I think he's going to make more contact. We know he gives a professional plate appearance. He knows balls from strikes. He has power. I think he's the guy who takes a really big step forward this year. Well, on that note, I would uh, like you to write an article ranking the different body parts of Royals players. Chris Bubich is mine. Done. I don't know what else could be on there. Uh, well, God, who, who's um, – I, I don't know. I was watching Greenkey pitch the other day. It looks like he's, his, his legs are a little thicker, so maybe I got okay. Greenkey's legs. <laughs> there we go. Uh, <laughs> Salvador Perez's yeah. – I don't know, just girth yeah, in general. I don't know. Well, his, his, so. his dump truck, I guess. Yeah, there we go. This is the way to do it. <laughs> <laughs> That's the best way of putting it. Uh, David, uh, before I let you go, anything stick out about the uh, first series against the Minnesota Twins? 
Yeah, I mean, the Twins are an interesting team. They they spent some money, obviously. They um, they they brought in they brought back Carlos Correa. They traded for Pablo Lopez. They traded Luis Arise, which is nice because he was about to go uh, twelve for fifteen in three games against the Royals. So I'm, I'm glad they did that. But they're a really interesting team. I think they're a measuring stick pretty early for this team um, and for the pitching staff because they're they're often they they grind out some bats. They are they have guys who will frustrate you endlessly. And um, you know I, they're streaky and they've they've. They've had their issues the last few years, but I think they're an interesting team. I think they're a, a good bet. Um, and then one thing that I just realized when we were talking, this is the 10th season that I've been on with you guys. Wow. That's wow. crazy. What is the, what's it the 10th anniversary? Is it like wood or something? <laughs> Silver? Um, I don't know. Um, but whatever it is, I'll just wait by the mailbox and then okay. hope you guys send it. You know, just let me know. <laughs> it's tin or aluminum, so maybe we'll send you like an aluminum bat. Ping. Perfect. I'm in. <laughs> there we go. Awesome. Well, uh, David, I appreciate the time as always, man, and uh, looking forward to, I guess, uh, year number 10 here. You can check out his work inside the crown. Subscribe to his Substack. Thanks again, man. Yep. Thanks, Derek. All right. That's David Lesky inside the crown joining us here on Rock Chalk Sports Talk with Nick Springer. I'm Derek Johnson. One hour down, two to go. This is RCST. Tough getting out of bed this morning after your weekend-long bender? I gotta get out of here. I think I'm gonna lose it. Uh-oh. Sounds like somebody's got a case of the Mondays. <laughs> Instead of focusing on Monday, it's time to rehash the glory days of the weekend that was right now on Rock Chalk Sports Talk. You're freaking me out, man. I got a massive headache. Okay, let's just calm down. How am does it calm down? Look around you. With Derek Johnson. When you come in on Monday and you're not feeling real well, does anyone ever say to you, sounds like someone has a case of the Mondays? No. No, man. Welcome back into Rock Chalk Sports Talk here on your Monday. We get into our Case of the Mondays segment where we discuss who's having a case of the Mondays. Real quick, though, before we do that, you know one way you might not be having a case of the Mondays? If you had a little extra confidence... Confidence knowing you'll be able to go a few extra rounds when needed. And confidence what you get from BlueChew.com. BlueChew is a unique online service that delivers the same active ingredients as Viagra and Cialis, but in a chewable form at a fraction of the cost. Keyword, chewable. So if you don't like swallowing pills, no issues there. And now they even have Vardenafil mint-flavored chewables with the active ingredient in Levitra and Staxon. So you can stay fresh as well. You have, you know, nice-tasting breath. BlueChew's tablets are a performance enhancement for the bedroom and can help men gain extra confidence when it's time to perform. And the process is is easy and simple. You sign up at BlueChew.com. You consult with one of their licensed medical providers. Once you're approved, you'll receive a prescription within days. It is all done online. And here's a special deal for our listeners. Try BlueChew free when you use our promo code RCST at checkout. Just pay $5 shipping. That's BlueChew.com, promo code RCST to receive your first month free with BlueChew. All right, who's having a case of the Mondays today? First up, I guess, I don't know, is Chief Saholic having a case of the Mondays or would it be... No, it would be the... Yeah, it would be the the Oklahoma City or the Tulsa... Sheriff's Department. Yeah, because I guess he removed his ankle monitor, skipped court. So, I don't know. He's having the opposite of the case on Mondays. He's <laughs> like, I'm free. He'll get yeah, caught, Yeah, that's not a right? case on Mondays. He'll get caught. I don't know. Okay. Well, uh, the Baltimore Ravens are having a case of the Mondays. At least I think 
Uh, the more I think about I this, I'm like, I don't know, maybe. Specifically, John Harbaugh's having a case. Like yeah, that's probably the best way to put it. So, uh, Lamar Jackson requested a trade. Yeah. And, and he, he also went on to a, uh, a Twitter tirade. Yeah, he basically took to Twitter. And the reason I would say John Harbaugh specifically is having a case of the Mondays is because right now is the yearly NFL coaches meetings. Uh, most notably, they that's where they take the famous coaches picture with all 32 coaches. Yeah. Uh, but anyways, they have those yearly meetings and they have... The coaches have designated times where they speak with the media. Well, Lamar Jackson made public that he had requested a trade back on March 2nd via Twitter, but he tweeted it literally minutes before John Harbaugh was scheduled to speak with reporters. Just and so basically, him. yeah, basically it was essentially blindsiding him, and John Harbaugh was getting swarmed and getting tons of questions about it, right? And as far as I can tell, I think he did a pretty good job of, of deflecting and doing the best he could given the circumstances. But, yeah, so very, very strange situation because you have the Ravens. Well, first of all, okay, the Ravens give him a non-exclusive tra- franchise tag, right? Which, when that happened to me, it was like, okay, so they obviously want to trade him or get rid of him, right? So then why is it a big deal that Lamar then requested a trade? Yeah, I guess that's why. If the it, Ravens don't want him and he requested a trade. Like, okay, whatever. Exactly. Like, if yeah. the Ravens already don't want him and then he says, please trade me. What, I, where's the disconnect? You know what I'm saying? Right. Like, what's the what's the holdup? Yeah, just trade him. <laughs> Let's see what the issue is here. Um, so maybe it's not a case the Mondays for the Ravens I'll for put, that reason. I'll keep John Harbaugh on there just because he got blindsided. But also, what if it's this? They just genuinely do want to keep him, but they they think he's only worth a certain cost. You know? Well, that's stupid. Why would they do that? Okay. Do you do you disagree with that statement? No, I, I, if you want a quarterback that bad, you do everything in your just power to keep him, him right? Yeah, yeah, just sign just him. Sign him. Like what? Like what? Yeah, what? I don't. Know. What are we doing? I don't know. Case of Mondays for Jordan Love took a uh, stray. Somebody asked Andy Reid about what he thought about Jordan Love. Yeah, he, just, the, he, had, he didn't know who it was. Yeah, the, the phrasing of the question was like, "Oh, you know, what did you think of Jordan Love uh, from?" when he played against you back in, you know, 2020 or whatever. And at first, Andy Reid was like, he didn't say who, but he was kind of like, what are you talking about? Like, what? Like he didn't know. Yeah. And then eventually the guy was like, oh, you know, the year, the game that he played when Aaron Rodgers was hurt against you guys. And, and then Andy Reid says, oh, yeah, uh, I thought he was pretty good. Which it's like, if you don't remember wh- who he is or what happened... Yeah. How could you say that he's pretty good? Now, I will say, coaches are, are – there's a lot of coaches who, like, don't remember players by their name. They just know their number. He's like, oh, number 10 on their team was pretty good. You know what I mean? So that sure. Would, that yeah. would have been funny. On opposing like, Number teams. 10, right? Yeah. But he, he didn't have a very good game. 19 of 34, 190 no, yards. No, dude, that was the most boring game yeah. of all time. It was yeah. like 13 to 7. The Chiefs barely won. Yep. 33.1 total QBR, 56 completion percentage. Oh, yeah. I thought that, that – that sounds pretty good to me. Does it sound good to you? No. He was just being polite, right? Uh, yeah. That could have been well, a lie detector. Well, because you don't want to say, oh, I thought he was terrible. Or, yeah, he sucks. Like, why would you say that? Yeah. Especially no, as a guy, I think it would be even worse in that case for Andy Reid because you're not somebody who's in the organization. That game happened two years ago. Like, maybe he did suck in that game, but that doesn't mean he sucks now. Right, right. Do you think that, 
like I guess if is him saying he was pretty good is that the equivalent of like he does suck though? Because to your point, you're not going to say that in person. So if you actually thought he was good, you'd be like he was really good. Well, no, then it's like so is that like so the lowest no, level? Because now what you're saying with? is that it's a lose lose situation for Andy. Reed. Yeah, that's basically what you're saying. Yeah, which I don't think that's I don't think that's the I, case. I mean, listen, it's a guy that you that your team played against two years ago, and you have you haven't played him since, and he hasn't even been a starter. Like no. I don't. I think it's fine. Okay. Uh, this next one, case of the Mondays, flop calls. So if you remember at the beginning of the season, the NCAA, the Big Twelve, all these conferences, they were like, we're going to put an emphasis on the flop call. If you flop, you're going to get a technical foul automatically. It's not even going to be a warning. It's going to lead to a free throw from the other team. And we saw it go for KU. We saw it go against KU. As the season went on, though, they kind of stopped getting called. I think it slowed down, and so. Uh, Ken, one Kenneth Pomeroy of Ken Palm, he uh, he actually took to the data and went and looked. So he said they were still being called into March, but they're having a long kind of decay. Um, no flops were called in the 40 games last week. And if you look at the number of flop calls that were called over the weeks of the season, so like in the first like two weeks of the year, it's it's 0.4 per game. So basically one every two games, one was being called. Then you go to week four of the season. It's like one every four games, there was one being called. Then you go to like week 12 of the season. It's like one every 10 games. Then you go to week 16 of the season. It's like one every 12 games. Now you go to now and it's not being called at all. Okay, this feels like, I'm trying to think of a good example of this. You know how where like you might say, okay, this is the punishment for messing up, and you're really hard yeah. for like a little bit mm-hmm. to like send. But it's more about sending a message. It's yes. not so much about the actual punishment itself. It's more about sending a message. Yes, and but that's kind of what happens, this has like, become. This happens legitimately every single yes. year. No, yeah, every year they come out and they say, "Well, this, this year we're going to emphasize on this." And they do, dude. And was there don't. one year where they said they were going to emphasize traveling? And they called a bunch yeah. of travels, and then they then, and they stopped. And they stopped. This is what happens every time. It's so pointless. It's so pointless. Why do you even emphasize anything at the beginning of the year? If you're not going to, like, all it does is it just, like, makes you think something's going to happen and adjust your style of play, and then it doesn't end up happening. Like, they, they talked about, I remember one year, like, oh, we're going to we're gonna call all hand checks, and we're going to yep. call all, yep. like. I remember uh, Bob Bullsby saying. Yeah, disruptment from movement <laughs> off the ball. And, yeah, they called it for the, I remember there were games where there'd be, like, 60 fouls between the two teams, and then. Uh, two weeks later, they didn't do it anymore. So stupid. So stupid. Yeah. There were several times where they could have called a flop. Like uh, Kansas yes. State could have yes. got one against them pretty yes. bad uh, when the, yes. the big man for the FAU just like dunked all over him after yeah. he flopped. Yeah. Anyway, uh, doctors get a case of the Monday because, you know, for the longest time, uh, doctors, the, the profession is, it, it's very, I don't know, sought after. It is a very esteemed profession, right? Like, sure. you're a doctor, Fine. that's a very good job. Uh, you, yeah, you look up to doctors, right? Well, uh, you know, they're about to be pulled into the doldrums of sports. We have all these sports debate shows and, you know, certain players suck, certain players are great and all this stuff. Yeah. Doctors are about to be in that mark. And it's LeBron James's fault. LeBron called his doctor as he, he got back to NBA action yesterday. He called his doctor the LeBron James of feet, which, first of all, case of the Mondays for being humble. Um, second of <laughs> yeah, all, no kidding. Yeah, he couldn't uh, have said, "Oh, he's the Michael Jordan." That would have actually been really funny if he said that. If he said he's the Michael Jordan, if he, um, but now this works both ways because if he's calling this doctor the LeBron James of feet, it opens up the world 
where now somebody else can call another doctor. He was the, I don't know, who's like a crappy uh, professional. He was the J.R. Smith of feet. Sure. I mean, J.R. had his moments. Yeah, he's like hit or miss. He's like either going to give you the best surgery of all time or you're going to end up with a spoon in your leg. He's you know not what I mean? clutch. He's yeah. not clutch. Is that yeah? Um, it opens it up both ways, and I don't think that's a. I don't. I don't think that's. It's kind of like Pandora's box. You don't want to open that box. Okay, your doctors. Do you? Would would let me let me ask you this. Mm-hmm. If somebody said you're the LeBron James of feet, are we sure that that's a compliment? <sighs> um, I would think so. I mean, if if you're the LeBron James of something, that could hypothetically mean you're one of the best at it of all time, right? You think so? But, yeah, but like of feet, like do you really want to be known as that? Like, like you know, you're you're you go on a date with somebody. They're like, oh, you're the LeBron James of feet. Yeah, is that a good thing? Do you want to be that guy? Um, that's a good question. I mean, if you're gonna do something, might as well be the best at it, right? But like, I listen. I don't like feet. Okay. In fact, I hate feet. In fact, I believe that there's a reason your feet are the farthest thing from your head well, on your body. I'm gonna start wearing flip flops into the studio, kick my legs up, and. Okay. Those things. No, so I, I would not like that. Okay, that's fair. But if saying. you were a foot doctor, well, I would never be a foot doctor. I don't want to look at feet. I don't want to touch feet. That's weird. Okay. Uh, Chelsea, the soccer club, is having a case of the Mondays. They posted a one hundred twenty-one million dollar or million euro. That's about one hundred and forty-nine million dollar loss for twenty twenty-one to twenty-two due to extraordinary expenses and loss of revenue. No, duh. The club blank <laughs> sanctions were imposed on previous owner. Dude, that's, that's a bad. lot of money. I don't really have much to add here. Yeah, that's a lot of money. I, I don't, just imagine I don't a pro sports team enough. losing that much. Jeez. Yeah, I don't, I don't pay attention enough to like the soccer stuff, I guess, but that that seems bad. Yeah. Does it not? I mean, you lose $150 million. I know that's, I'd be mad. That's bad. Uh, John Calipari is having a case of the Mondays because Texas has hired Rodney Terry. Well, we think. I don't think it's official, is it? Uh, it sounds like they're negotiating. I, I thought they did make it official they about made an, an hour offer or two ago. Oh, okay. It was they like a five-year deal. I might be okay. wrong. I might be wrong with that. Um, but nonetheless, for John Calipari, you know, some of the Kentucky fans feel in the hot seat. He could have gotten away from the hot seat, gotten a bag of money to go to Texas possibly, okay. but now he doesn't let's have that say, option. Let's say Cal does get fired or leaves Kentucky. Yes. Where does he go? Uh, he could retire. He's 64 years old. But... If he didn't, somebody let's would say take he him didn't on, want right? to retire. Where would somebody he go? would take him on? Well, at this point now that Texas is gone, um, Syracuse. Yeah, that could make some sense. But they just—they already have their guy. They hired the, the they got guy, former player. No, I mean, Andre, what's his face? Oh, um, yeah, I know who they you're hired. Him. Okay, uh, former player. So in, in this hypothetical world that you're talking about, where John Calipari gets fired right now, are you talking about does it have to be someone who's an opening right now, or what if he sits out a year, does the ESPN thing, and then some big job opens up and, and he goes and takes it. I don't know. That's what I'm asking you. Hmm. I think that would be almost more likely. He would sit out, wait for like the perfect job to open up. What's, but what's the perfect job? It'd have to Is be there like... any more job perfect than Kentucky? Well, no, but he's getting fired from it, right? <laughs> Imagine that world where they Hubert Davis him? has a bad year next year and then they hire John Calipari. That, that would never... I could never see him yeah. in North Carolina. But like, it'd be funny. What if Kentucky fires Calipari? They suck. For a year, and then they say, they "Hey, actually, come back, <laughs> please, sir, come back." No, uh, can uh, Louisville? Louisville hires him. That would actually be interesting, <laughs> right? If Kenny Payne has another bad year, that Iona—that's just the new spot for like former Kentucky coaches to go to. 
But yeah, no, he can't, he can't have that uh, little escape out to Texas. Man. The Blue Bloods are dead in this tournament was changing of the guard crowd. So a lot over the weekend, you saw a lot of people talking about how crazy this Final Four is. San Diego State, FAU, Miami, UConn, and that it's a changing of the guard. We didn't have any of the Blue Bloods in the second weekend of the NCAA tournament. Need I remind people that just last year, we had Duke, North Carolina, and Kansas in the Final Four. And the fourth team in the Final Four was Villanova, who probably isn't a Blue Blood, but they're like Blue Blood adjacent. Like, they're that next tier. Um, But... Right now, it looks like the Blue Bloods could be pretty good next year. Tyrese Proctor announced he's coming back to Duke. Yep. That's a big deal for them. We, we talked to Kevin Flaherty last week, and he kind of talked about that. Um, There's like, I don't know, kind of some rumors that Kyle Filipowski could be back for Duke next year. So yep. they could end up being one of those elite teams next year. Kentucky is going to be bringing back some some key players. It seems like like Antonio Reeves could be coming back. I don't know what they the deal with Oscar is. They also have number two, number three, and number four yeah, players. They have an insane recruiting class coming in. UNC is bringing a ton back. Caleb Love is transferring out of the program, which I think that actually might help them. He shot 29% from three on like seven attempts per game. It wasn't like great fit with him and RJ Davis, so they could just be better next year with having some players back. Kansas, you just expect them fine. to be Kansas, right? Yeah, be fine. Yeah. Blue Bloods, I think, are going to be good next year. Yeah, I think they'll be fine. Yeah. And, okay. and usually how this how- stuff works, we'll have like a random year, and then the next year will be the like correction to the norm. Yeah. Okay, I was having this discussion with actually a couple of friends. How does a team like... UConn, or let's say, is it even possible? Is it even is it possible for a team like UConn or Villanova to reach blue blood level status? Is, is it, it possible? possible? Yeah, of course it is. Are you sure? Yes. I, Why? Because I, I would disagree. I think because what what defines a blue blood is having that tr- basketball tradition. So if you don't have that, then you're just a really good team who's had a really good or a really good program who's had saying. a really good run. I see what you're saying, and and I will say like I don't think to me it comes in the standpoint of you can be really good for a ten year stretch. But hypothetically, like it it comes with a lot of time because that's what it took all those schools to do that tradition. Yeah. So if UConn over the next fifty years. Seriously, over the next 50 years, wins well, five like, titles and is good all the time, then sure, we can talk about it in 50 years. Five right? titles in 50 years? Is that enough? I mean, Kansas has six in, what, 100? <laughs> I mean, it's more about, like, are you good over the course of the time with all those years, right? Not, yeah, sure, yeah. Fine. So you're right. It does come with the course of time. I'm, I'm not saying that somebody can just instantly what's, become what's a blue blood in a five-year stretch. What's that there's an inverse relationship. Because, like, if you are a blue blood, you will never not be a blue blood, right? Most likely. I mean, I think... If you would have asked most people, like UCLA, in the, I think is the only team that was maybe teetering on the verge. UCLA, of I, I think Indiana. Saying, I think Indiana in the '90s was clearly seen as a blue blood by probably a majority of people. But now, like most people, probably they have them in that next tier. You know, because Indiana yeah. was, and I think that's kind of what the the be all end all is for me in deciding what the blue bloods are. Can you have sustained success under multiple coaches? Realistically, probably three. Right? You think of now. I know Duke would kind of shed the. I don't know, Coach kind K of that, but, but Coach K a, was there so a, long a that, like, years. exactly. Um, with North Carolina, like, you've you've had success with multiple coaches, yeah, like long periods of success. Yeah, with UConn, you could say, well, they won a title with two different coaches, and it might be three upcoming here, but they didn't have sustained sustained success with Kevin Holly. No. You know what I mean? With Dan Hurley, they haven't gotten better than a four seed, even if they win the title this year. But if he had sustained success for, I think UConn is the one that can make the best case you uh, to move their way in there eventually. Because like right, with, if Dan with, Hurley has ten years of a really good run, yeah, with with Jay, with Jay Wright retiring, Villanova is pretty much dead. Yeah, in that conversation. Yeah, exactly. 
Um, okay, last one. Ian Rappaport and Adam Schefter because Patriots owner Robert Kraft said Meek Mill texted him three or four days ago saying Lamar Jackson wanted to come to New England. Kraft responded that would be a Bill Belichick decision. So who needs Adam Schefter Here to break we go. Fan news with Meek Mill is? Journalists who, fans who think they're journalists breaking news. What are we doing? <laughs> Dude, Meek Mill, I'm all for Meek Mill becoming, like, the guy to, like, scoop, like, NFL stuff. That'd be awesome. All right, he is uh, Nick Springer. I'm Derek Johnson. We, uh, we'll we get on to an interview next with Brandon Schneider, head coach of the KU women's basketball team, to talk about their performance so far to get to the Fab Four of the WNIT and their next game upcoming on Wednesday against Washington. This is RCST. Welcome back into Rock Chalk Sports Talk on KLWN. Derek Johnson with Nick Springer as we get ready for another KU women's basketball game coming at you on Wednesday night. They're in the Fab Four now of the WNIT. That one at 6.30. Pre-game will start at 6.15 here on KLWN. You can also venture your way out over to Allen Fieldhouse and uh, fill the booth. Uh, so I, I guess, Brandon, first things first, it's been a fun run for you guys making it to the Fab Four here. Has this run, though, meant a little bit more just because of the path that you guys have had to take where you get to play Missouri, uh, a rival, you get to play Nebraska, a former Big 12 team that you lost to in a tight game earlier in the season, and now you get to take down Arkansas over the weekend on Sunday, a team that had ended the the seasons for the football team and the men's basketball team. Has this run meant a little anything extra because of the path that you guys have had to face? Well, I think um, I would say that uh, in this particular tournament, we've definitely played the toughest schedule. Uh, we've been fortunate, uh, you know, that we have had four home games, um, but but four really good opponents. You know, Western Kentucky uh, finished second in their league and, and uh, was really close to, to obviously going to the tournament and getting the bid there. Um, and then to, to play a rival game that, you know, nobody in our program other than Terry Nooner had ever had the chance to participate in. Um, and then you get Nebraska, uh, which was a triple overtime game there in Lincoln in December. And then um, a program we have a lot of respect for just because we've scrimmaged them uh, the last couple of years in Arkansas. I mean, did, did it get discussed at all? Did it mean anything extra because of I, I know I saw after the uh, the men's game, there was an Arkansas staffer wearing the Liberty Bowl gear of uh, the men's basketball game, and, and he said if Kansas wants to, you know, talk to us about ending any of their other seasons, just, just contact us. Uh, I don't know. Was that discussed at all? Was it used as motivation for you guys, or was it just kind of another game? No, zero, zero. We didn't, we didn't talk about um, that with, with our players. I think that's um, things that are more interesting for our fan base. Um you know, for us, it was the next opponent. Uh, we were familiar with them. As I said, we spent an entire afternoon, you know, back in uh, October in a practice gym, you know, trying to help each other get better. And and uh, Coach Neighbors, uh, their head coach and I are good friends. And um, we just knew that uh, we were going to have to play really well to have success. And what did you think your team did well or, or maybe has done well over the course of this ride that you think is – has been the biggest reason why you're in the Fab Four? Well, I think we've really guarded well. Um, you know, yesterday uh, in, in the first half, um, you know, I thought we played with a great deal of focus and attention to detail and just respect for our opponent because we knew how explosive Arkansas was on the offensive end. And, 
uh, as we saw in the third quarter. I mean, they came out and 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 they were terrific. But uh, I just think in our last three games, we've put together pretty good defensive performances, and then you know, obviously, uh, have continued uh, to be pretty balanced on the offensive end. It's been noted that you see some in the men's game about some teams that go on these deep uh, NIT runs. I think last year Xavier won it all against Texas A&M. Both teams end up making the tournament this year. Xavier made a Sweet 16. Uh, there have been other you know cases of, of teams that have gone far. Do you think there is a, a correlation between, I don't know, maybe success in a tournament like this in terms of the extra practices, the extra games, the extra game prep that you guys get in that this really is, as, as much as you're trying to go out uh, and win a tournament and, and give extra games to the seniors and how this can kind of be a launching pad for next year's team? Uh, without question. Um, you know, you referenced a couple of men's programs. Um, I would have you look back to Arizona a few years ago. They won the NIT, and then the following year they played the national championship game. Um, so I think that's that's important. I think it's an opportunity for our program uh, to get increased, uh, you know, eyeballs on us and our players. And, and, uh, as evident by, you know, the, the fan support that we've gotten, uh, throughout this tournament has been terrific. Uh, the other thing we've done intentionally, um, is, is every one of these games has been what we call a one day prep where we, we practice the day before the game and then have a shoot around, uh, which is what happens in the NCAA tournament. So, uh, we are taking more days off just so we can be consistent with what would happen in the NCAA tournament. So hopefully next year, should we get selected, this will be something we can reflect back on um, as, as a program and know that, hey, we had multiple opportunities where we prepared as if we were in the NCAA tournament and it was successful for us. Obviously, as, as part of this event, the, the teams that are hosting, it's it's kind of a bid-related thing, and um, that's a little unfortunate because I would have imagined you guys would have been, you know, like the, the one seed or something and would have just gotten them anyway. But because it is like that, that means that there is an onus on the athletic department, on Travis Goff and everybody to to put in that 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 trust in you guys as a program and uh, to put those bids forward to host these games. And you guys have obviously hosted every round, as you'll continue to do on Wednesday night. H how much has that meant to you guys as a program, what the athletic department has done for you here over the course of this? Well, it's it's something that we're, we're very grateful for, you know, the, the support of Travis and, and uh, Nicole Corcoran, who's also a deputy athletic director and uh, works with our program um, all the time. The fact that uh, they, they've stepped up and they've been aggressive. And uh, but I think it's also a trust of our fan base, you know, that um, that should we host, uh, you know, people are going to come out and, and support us. And and our our student body has has been terrific. Um, but, yeah, we're we're extremely grateful um, that, that they've had our back, you know, throughout this tournament. And Washington is the opponent on Wednesday night. Again, 6.30 is when you can go over to Allen Fieldhouse. You can listen to it here on KLWN with pregame starting at 6.15. What does Washington do well, and, and what sorts of things are they going to do to make things challenging on Wednesday night? Well, you know, they uh, off offensively, um, they really execute well, and they have no problem uh, being deliberate and playing deep, deep into the shot clock every possession um, I think they would probably like the game to be in the low 50s. 
uh, we'd like it to, to be in the 70s. So contrasting styles there. Uh, they're a terrific rebounding team. And defensively, they're very connected um, and do a great job of, of uh, you know, kind of playing that pack line style, keeping the ball out of the paint, uh, you know, making people take con- contested twos. And so to that notion, obviously, you guys have a, a lot on the interior with Tiana Jackson. What are the keys to the game for you guys to to play well against that style of play? You know, we're, we're kind of still in the process of preparing, but, um, you know, we're going to have to be committed and disciplined uh, to defending deep into the shot clock every possession and, and um, you know, not having any slippage in communication or assignments. Um, I think offensively, we've got to just continue to be ourselves and and trust that, you know, how we play and, and the fact that we're trying to be balanced um, has been successful. Uh, but, you know, we're, we're probably going to have to make some perimeter shots uh, because they do a really good job of, like I said, kind of packing the paint. Uh, well, fun one to finish, um, and, and good luck coming up on Wednesday. It is April Fool's Day coming up in, in just a few days here. Which coach or player on the team would be most likely to pull an April Fool's prank? Uh, let's see. Player, um, I would say uh, Nadira. Uh, coach, I would say uh, Coach Nooner. All right. Love it. Well, Coach, uh, thanks again for the time. Good luck on Wednesday night. You bet. Thank you. All right. That was Brandon Schneider, head coach of the KU women's basketball team, joining us again, taking on Washington on Wednesday night in the Fab Four. 630 is tip-off, 615 pregame here on KLWN. We actually are going to have some tickets to give away for the event. We will uh, do some ticket giveaways on tomorrow's show and maybe a little bit on Wednesday's show as well. So stick around for that. Try to get free entry into the game. This is RCST on KLWN. Let's get to... uh, some NCAA tournament Sweet 16 Elite Eight overreactions from the weekend next. Venue 1235 is a great space to check out your next corporate or social gathering. They are covered, uh, located right off I-75 minutes from downtown Lawrence. It's a large climate-controlled event space with a catering kitchen, private suite, and a covered patio. Check them out today with Venue 1235. Uh, so let's get into a little fun segment that we mostly did for the NFL season, but we'll save it here for uh, the NCAA tournament as well. NCAA tournament second weekend overreactions. What do we got All this right. week? Oh, okay, yeah. Hang on a second. All right, so it was objectively a pretty wild weekend of NCAA tournament play, I suppose. Okay. First one up. This is the worst Final Four of all time in terms of how good the teams are in it and how much you want to watch it. Okay, so as far as the the teams that are in it, if you think back, there have been some other like Final Fours with like high seeds in it, and um, yeah, but I don't remember people complaining so much about other high. No, seeds but I, I think that's also possible. So twenty eleven, like, is it because these high seeds are actually kind of good? I don't like know. It's more fun when the bat the high seed is actually like a bad team. And I then guess. People are like, oh, it's a great story. Twenty eleven, we had uh, UConn was a three, Kentucky was a four, and then you had like eight seed Butler and eleven seed VCU. That yeah. was not great. Yep. 
Um, you had yeah, year with George Mason in there. Yeah, but they they were in eleven. They had what Florida the three, and then UCLA, and I forget the LSU. Um, there have been some other years where there have been some weird teams in there, and there have been even a couple weird teams. Like shoot, man, uh, twenty fourteen when it was like wide open, you had an eight seed Kentucky playing Wisconsin in the final four, and then the other final four game was Connecticut against I guess Florida was really good that year. So I, I don't know. There's been some weird other years. Maybe this is the worst Final Four. But I will say, if you look at Ken Palm, like, yes, you, you don't figure that, you know, all of your... There's only one top 10 okay. team on Ken Palm, I guess, is the way of putting this. But, like, all four teams are in the top 22. So these well, aren't, like, horrible here's, teams. Here's what I would say. We all talked about the before seating, the tournament it was wide open. The seeding of the teams doesn't directly correlate to the quality of the games. No. You can have... Two one seeds, and it could still be a blowout. So it's like uh, th- there's no correlation between high seeds and the games being yeah. bad. Well, and also if if we look at it from like a standpoint of Ken Palm, for instance, this would basically be a one seed, a four seed, a five seed, and a six seed. So it wouldn't be like that crazy, no. right? Yeah, no, I, I I think this is a pretty big. Overall. So I don't know. I I'm sure back in like the 80s or something, there was a worse Final Four. Yeah. I mean, it, it could be. I don't know. It's probably in the discussion. Also, I don't really care. How watchable is it? I'm going to be watching it. But if you don't want to watch it, that's your own decision. <laughs> now, I do understand from a national audience from, you know, I'm someone who likes watching the NCAA tournament. I that's like true. watching college basketball. A, that's true. Like, if you're a neutral fan. You know, sometimes we live in this bubble of, like, extreme sure. fandom. Yeah. You know, and, maybe just regular Joe Schmo mm-hmm. won't watch now. But it, so if you're, if you're just a, like you said, regular Joe Schmo, last year... When North Carolina is playing Duke, you 100% tuned in. Probably. This year, when San Diego State's playing FAU, you're probably not tuning in. But guess what? You might be, but probably not. Guess what? I'm not somebody who is like, oh, man, 10 million people watch this versus, oh, no, 5 million people watch this. Now I can't enjoy it anymore. <laughs> I don't care. Enjoy what yeah, you want to enjoy. What does it matter? Yeah, exactly. It'd be like, imagine imagine if you were at a restaurant okay. and you, there, there's a type of food you don't like. Like, what's the type of food you don't like? I don't like squash. Sushi. Okay, sushi. You're at a sushi restaurant, or you're at a, I don't know, like a, a Chinese restaurant. Yeah. Somebody's eating sushi. You're having orange chicken or whatever. And as you're leaving the restaurant, you turn to the guy at the sushi, you flip up his plate, and you say, I don't like that, so you can't like it either. It's like, no, that's not how it works. You can enjoy what you want to enjoy. No, you can't okay. enjoy You can't enjoy sushi. Oh, my gosh. All right, what's next? All right, next up, we had this discussion earlier, but UConn, with a title win here in this tournament, is a blue blood if they win. No, I will say no, um, but I do think they would be, for me, the closest one to entering that discussion if they have a long period of success. What you were talking about earlier, though, yeah. it has to be a long period of success. You can't just enter in after one run. But if they had, if they have another decade run where they win three titles and they make but five Final Fours... someone pointed this out to me. If UConn wins the title here this year, they're going to have more titles since 2000 than, yeah. like, UCLA, Kentucky, Kansas even. Like, some of these other Blue Blood programs. Yeah, and that's where it becomes difficult because I think, to me, Blue Blood isn't just about title. No, it's not. It's, it, it's about tradition. It is about tradition. The tradition is what separates you from yeah. being just a really great program versus being a Blue Blood. It's about fanfare. Are you going to sell out your, your arena even in a down year? Um, it's about, you know, being, even in the years you don't win a title— are you still good? Are you still getting yes. one, two, threes, and four seeds? That hasn't really been the case always for UConn. And that's why I think some people even don't have UCLA as a blue blood because they have all those titles early on, 
They haven't always been competitive. Yeah, when the tournament was four teams. Right, exactly. I could have won a title then. So I, for me, I've, I've always just, I've, I've kept it simple with Kansas, Kentucky, Duke, Carolina. Those are my four blue bloods. I have UCLA, Michigan State, Indiana, I don't know, maybe Villanova, UConn, I guess, as that kind of like next tier of teams. But no, I, I don't think this would put them in. But I do think among those teams who are in that second tier, to me, UConn would have the best argument because of what you just said with all those titles that they've won. Yeah, I mean, I, I would probably put UCLA in That's there fine, also. just because of the mass titles. Yeah. I mean, it's totally fair. Yeah. That's the one that I never really argue with. If somebody wants to put them in, I'm fine <laughs> with it. Just not in my list. No, that's fine. Okay. Big 12. Brett Yormark wants to expand. Wants to expand to Germany. Wants to do all this crazy <laughs> stuff. Well, how about instead of adding, instead of looking to add the four corner schools, the Arizona, Arizona State to the world, the Big 12 should invite San Diego State. Mm. The Aztecs. Come on down. I say yes. Okay. Okay, so first of all, the Pac-12 wants San Diego State. And to be honest, I don't know why they haven't already invited them. Yeah, I mean, I mean they they've have, been a good football team for the past like, decade football plus, team. right? Yeah, I think they weren't that good this year, but they've been pretty solid yeah. in recent memory. Yeah, I mean, they've had like good coaches come through the program. You had like Rocky Long. You had... Um, they've had good players, too. Yeah, they've had good players get drafted, like Rashad Penny and so forth. Yeah. I mean, they were 7-6 this Humphrey. year. Year before, they went 12-2. and two. Over the past, since 2010, they've had a winning season every year. They've had five double-digit win seasons, and they've had two more with nine. So, like, yeah, they've I mean, been a good football make, program, It would right? make a lot of sense. Yeah. It would. And you're trying to expand West. But and listen, if, you're asking the Pac-12 to do something smart. No, but I'm, I'm saying this from the Big 12 standpoint. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So the Pac-12... I thought, I thought we were still dragging the Pac-12. Because you're right. So Well, yeah. So the Pac-12, <laughs> that would be something smart to do, right? You add them, they, they'd help you out in a lot of ways. Yeah. If you're the Big 12, and you're trying to basically disband the Pac-12 so you can maybe be able to steal Arizona well, yeah, remember, and they want to get Colorado, Arizona, right? Arizona State. They want to get the Washington schools. What's one way to destabilize them? Take away one of their best options, and it gets you into the recruiting base of California maybe a little bit more. San Diego State's been a really good basketball program. This is yeah. their best tournament run, but like they've made other Sweet 16s. They've had other good teams. They had the COVID yeah. year team that was probably going to get like a two seed in the NCAA tournament that was like 30-1 and one or something like that. Yeah, um, I, I think it would make a lot of sense, and especially if you really are going to, because we, we've heard the rumors about, oh, are they going to add Gonzaga for basketball? Well, this would help you out because then you'd have that West Coast contingency for like basketball only with Gonzaga, San Diego State, BYU, and some of those schools. I say go for it. Brett, get on the phone. Get on the phone, Brett. Okay. Next up, Nate Oates. The style that he likes to coach is very up-tempo and whatnot. But in terms of making tournament runs, that style is just as tough as the type that Tony Bennett runs at Virginia, which is a lot of defense. Okay, so this is interesting because for the longest time, Tony Bennett, and it's coming back around now, it seemed like it was going to get cleared after he won the title that people would stop questioning if his style, the style where they're playing like one of the slowest teams in the country and they're so defensive-based, if that style could win at all. And then he won the title, and it was like, oh, well, okay, apparently it can. But ever since then, it's been like, no, it can't. Yeah, Wisconsin ran a super slow team with, like, Bo Ryan. They didn't win a title, but they went to a couple Final Fours. They, yeah, they, they got, got pretty, darn they got close to winning a title they against got pretty Duke, close. Right? Yeah. So, yeah, I, I think the, that it's interesting that you can, but maybe it does make it a little bit harder. And a lot of times the teams that play at a slower tempo, maybe you're more upset-prone because – Against the better teams, it's going to give you a better chance because it's going to make it a lower-scoring, closer game. Yeah. But against the worst teams, it's also going to make it a lower-scoring, close game. That Your variance is a little bit more. Yeah. Well, for the, the up-tempo stuff with Alabama, 
they almost go too up-tempo that maybe they're too out of control. And so I wonder if if the perfect medium is somewhere in the middle. Now, I, I do think, to be clear, the tournament is weird enough that I think you can win a title doing whatever it is you do best as long as you excel at that to a, a specific level. But I do think that... So you're saying defense does not win championships? No, it does. I, I just think to a certain standpoint, if you are so extreme at something... Well, like, what if Miami wins the title this year with the 100th best defense? That would certainly be weird. I, I don't know. I would almost chalk it up to just this is a weird year. It's wide open, <laughs> right? Um, I will say their defense has been better since, I don't know, like February or something like that. But, yeah, man, I, I, I think that it makes it harder sometimes in the tournament when you're so heavy one style because in the tournament you are going to see a bunch of different well, styles. Look at St. Mary's. I mean, what has St. Yeah. Mary's done? Nothing. Yeah. Well, so they're just bad. So yeah, and, and to be clear, I'd rather play at a fast tempo because in theory that should mean you have more possessions in a game and against a lesser opponent that leaves more for, uh, or I guess less up in the air that weird stuff can happen. But also because Alabama has been so three-point reliant, maybe that's the part of it that you look at here. They're ninth in the country in the amount of shots they take from three, but they're only 198th in three-point percentage. I appreciate what Nate Oates has done in terms of the analytics game of valuing the two-point shot at the rim and the three-point shot, but if you don't have the shooters, it's hard to do that. I I don't really view it as like you can't win one way or another. Well, we've seen enough instances of both ways. North Carolina or in Kansas with Roy Williams played at a super fast tempo, had a lot of success. Um, we've seen Tony Bennett, like I said, Bo Ryan at Wisconsin. Maybe there's one way that's better than the other. Maybe being balanced is the best way to do it, but I, I don't think it eliminates you one way or, or another. Or maybe it's just whatever your personnel is, you play to their yeah. strengths. No, that's always the best answer. Yeah. Okay. Kelvin Sampson is the Nick Saban of not smiling. Dude, yes. This is not an overreaction at all. Um, I have seen so many videos of Kelvin dude, Sampson he, interviewing. Every time the camera cuts to him, he's frowning. Always, dude. He's like... He looks like he wants to punch somebody. I've every never time. seen him smile once. No. no. Should we change this to I he's mean, the LeBron just, James of smiling? <laughs> to, we'll I mean, it, well, is that just his? Do you think that's just his resting face? It do has you think to his be. His face just rests in like a an eternal like frown. But you know what's weird? Even like you'll see Nick Saban smile. It's not yeah. a ton, but you'll yeah. see it. Oh, I, yeah. I, I I've never seen Kelvin Sampson smile. But like what like like what I'm saying is like, are we giving him a bad rap because maybe that's just his face? I guess, but even if it's just your face, if it's resting, eventually you smile because something makes you happy. Uh, maybe that I don't know. That, that's up maybe for debate. Physically incapable of smiling. I don't even think that. Well, dude, okay. Doesn't it take like seventy muscles to smile? <laughs> yeah, it takes, maybe no, like one of them doesn't. I think work. that's opposite. I thought it takes more muscles to frown. Is oh, that wrong? I don't know. No wait, I don't know. Now I'm all confused. Okay. What's next? We're off track. Yeah. All right, Jim Laranega. He's the most underrated college basketball coach of the last decade. Um, I'm trying to think who else would be in that discussion. I, I think Leonard Hamilton would have been up there, but the last few years they've struggled. Would you Would you dare to venture Mr. Bill Self? I mean, you could really actually make an argument that, yes, he is underrated, even as good as he's been. Uh, but, yeah, I I think you could go Jim Laranega. I mean, you're talking about a guy who made a Final Four at George Mason. Now he's made a Final Four at Miami, which Miami has been traditionally a horrible basketball school. And he also almost made the, the Final Four last year. And yeah, he's been to the Elite Eight I think, yeah, three times. He has that other uh, Sweet 16 run where they got like a two seed with, I think, Shane Larkin. Like, he's a really good basketball coach, man. He's yeah, I really, really I'm good. I don't think who else he would put in that discussion. Um, Underrated. 
See, it makes it tough. I mean, you could maybe throw Greg McDermott in there from Creighton. I don't know. I guess. Really underrated, though? Yeah. Seems like he's properly rated. That's kind of what I was thinking. Is... I, I feel like you're going to hate this answer. I think Mark Few's a little underrated. Because he hasn't won the title, um, he gets grief for it. But, like, they've made the Sweet 16 eight straight times. You know how hard that is? Yeah, they play in the Conference of the Blind and Deaf. But not in the NCAA tournament. They made eight straight Sweet 16s. No, the most I KU's think, made is five I in think a row, Mark Few's overrated. Okay. People think he's a good coach and he hasn't, won, he hasn't won Jack. <laughs> See? This is why he's underrated. <laughs> uh, that's a good question. Do we have any more? All right. I'm going to just throw this one out there. Okay. If Bill Self retires in the next few years, Dusty May should be the man that the mm. that the KU hires. So overreaction if it was right now, because I don't think if you're Kansas, you can hire a guy straight from Florida Atlantic unless he, if he gets Florida Atlantic to the point of where, like they're a Wichita State, Gonzaga type, where when Wichita State was rolling under Greg Marshall, yeah. hopefully not the, the other stuff happening with that. But like yeah. in terms of, where he is now consistently this top tier program of the then yeah that that'd be that might be fine but realistically he'd probably have to jump to like a lower tier power five have success there then get that but like he's certainly one that you have in the short list of guys to watch I'll say that of guys to watch yeah he's Nick Springer I'm Derek Johnson two hours down one to go we got some uh, Lance Leipold audio coming up next this is RCST on KLWN depend on it. Thanks for listening to the Best of RCST podcast. And a reminder, you can catch our show Monday through Friday from 3 to 6 live on KLWN in Lawrence, 101.7 FM, 1320 AM, or anywhere you're online at klwn.com or the KLWN app. Thanks for listening.